I don't know. I think we all have a base level of what we like to work at. And my, you know, baseline of productivity may be different from your baseline of productivity. And I know that if I don't want to be burnt out or if I want to continue on, it's like the tortoise and the hare, right? For me, I know that I need to be a tortoise. So I need to move at a slower pace because if I do that, I can consistently keep going. But if I move like... Welcome to Authentic on Air with Bruce Alexander. I am your host, Bruce Alexander. I am excited to have on the line with me today from beautiful Puerto Rico, Regan Shorter, a friend and former neighbor who has had a very unique impact on my life. More about that after today's reflection. Are you expected to play a role in any of your relationships that makes you feel uncomfortable or even like you have to be someone you believe you are not? Could that ever be a good thing? How does that make you feel? bitter or contented, conflicted or committed? I think this question is crucial to being self-aware. As always, I am genuinely interested and would love to hear any interesting, surprising, or revelational insights uncovered so you can hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, or LinkedIn at Authentic Identity Management. My family and I moved across from Regan in quite possibly the strangest period of my life, the COVID pandemic. This is not a story about COVID-19. That stage hog has already gobbled up enough limelight. However, during that period, a star did emerge to steal the show in my story. Kindness. Kindness had manifested in the form of a young hip couple who appeared often outside in their driveway, just hanging out. Austin and Regan. It began with exchanging pleasantries while Austin was out and grilling or working on his bike. This slowly developed into longer conversations and family introductions. As an extrovert banished to obscurity by nationwide isolation, Every new connection was a reprieve from depression. Everyone was scared and receding into their shells, but for some reason, beyond me, this couple let me in. Regan is here with me, so I will speak singularly of her. ADHD for me often means that I am pursuing a variety of new adventures or revisiting old hobbies in new ways. She is the only person from outside of my home that I can recollect having called on for everything. And she has been so supportive and encouraging, whether it has been buying a plate when I fired up the smoker or volunteering her time to model when I was in school for photography. Now she is here as a guest on my podcast. Regan Shorter, without me realizing it, you have become the biggest investor and majority shareholder in the enterprise that is Bruce. Thank you and welcome. Hi, Regan. Wow, thank you, Bruce. I didn't know that. That's so sweet. (laughs) I'm super excited to be here. Really supported everything I've done and you always done it with such a great attitude and you've been so kind and giving with your time and a camera equipment I'm using one of the lighting stands you gave me right now so <laughs> you you've really helped me get to this moment and I aspire yeah. so much well thank you for saying that I don't know I always try to be it's because this is what I would want when I was asking someone for help or if I'm starting something new. You don't always get that in creative spaces or in really anything, right? When you're entering into it, people aren't always super generous or helpful. And I had experiences in the past, right, where it's like I was just like a couple steps away from where I wanted to be and I couldn't figure out how to get there. And when I would ask people, you know, they weren't always very forthcoming with advice or it'd be like they tell you 50% but not like 100% 
And so that was something that always really irked me. And so I try not to be like that. (laughs) So that leads me to my next question. I was going to ask if you were aware of the kindness you were bestowing upon me while you were doing it. No, no, I mean, not to the extent you just described. Like I said, I try to be like nice and think, you know, the classic golden rule, do unto others as you'd like done unto yourself. I don't know if that's the exact phrasing, but that same kind of thing. But I don't really think about it. I love talking about the stuff that we talk about anyway. And so for me, it's fun. Like I get a break out of my day to just like talk shop with someone who likes the same things as me, which I don't always get to do. So it doesn't feel like I'm like, Oh, charity. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I'm glad I wasn't a I'm such a good person. <laughs> I honestly, you know, I didn't, I didn't really realize it. Like I was always very complimentary of you. It was like, she's so nice, you know, very helpful. I always told my wife, Regan is helping me with this. Regan has, you know, offered this and it's helpful. But then I was writing the intro and I was considering how many times I'd called on you. And I realized that I'd never called on anybody else that much. Like my best friend, my best friend, I didn't ask to do photos with me. My other friends, I asked to do photos, but I had never asked to, you know, to do this or that. And I realized that my neighbor from across the street, I hit up for everything. I was (laughs) just so just taken by how nice you guys were. I wanted to always give you the opportunity. And it was, you know, the opportunity to say no. That's something that a lot of people are afraid to do. But Mm -hmm. I I enjoyed being around both you, both Austin and yourself. So I was Mm -hmm. just put it out there. And if you said no, I, you know, I could handle that. But you never did. Yeah. You know, and I really hope that that's not attributed to me being a bulldozer and you just being like, "Ah." no, (laughs) (laughs) not at all. Not at all. No, like I said, like I, I enjoy it. So when I get that opportunity to just do that stuff for me, it's fun. Well, that's, that's really good to hear. Um, especially thinking about how terrible I was on that first photo shoot, just not, I mean, I knew how to take pictures, but you weren't though, Bruce. (laughs) It felt like I was fumbling my way through that deal. And I always feel like I'm sweating so bad. I'm just, I'm, I'm making everybody uncomfortable with my massive sweat. So that's what's No, in- you're not at all. Also, when I think about that shoot and like, I don't know, I tend to move at a slower pace. So I think about where you were in comparison to when you started, like, and where I was in that same time frame, And you're fantastic in comparison to what I was. I mean, <laughs> so genuinely, you should be very proud of yourself. Well, thank you so much. I really do appreciate not just the time and the, but you, like I said, been so supportive. So let's back up a little bit for our uh, listeners. And can you introduce yourself, tell people who you are, what you spend your time doing and why you think I had you on the show? Yeah, well, it's funny that you mention your ADHD and always doing something new, because I feel like every year I pick a new thing that I do. And so it's hard to say, you know, who am I? What do I do? Because I feel like it changes constantly. But according to my bio, no. <laughs> so I, I'm a photographer and content creator. I do a little bit of both. So it started out because I went to school for marketing I love business. I love the creative side of it. Um, But then when I graduated, I found that I actually do not like working in marketing at all. (laughs) 
it was something that I loved studying in school that I didn't like, but something that had always captivated me was photography. I got into photography in high school because I used to love fashion blogs. And so from that, it was like, oh, I started a blog, so I needed to learn photography. Oh, in college, people needed headshots, so I started taking headshots. After college, I moved abroad, so I started taking more travel photos, and I made YouTube videos. And so all of this has kind of come full circle again, and now it's where I'm back to in business and marketing, but I'm actually helping people and businesses create their marketing materials, whether those are photos or videos for social media. Yeah, that's... um... I, I like how well it's worked out for you because that gives me hope. You know, I've gotten into several different things that I really enjoy lately and none of them have, made, have netted money yet. That's okay. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, it takes I, time. It's hard. <laughs> it, it definitely does. And I'm working on being patient. I think that's, you know, a very great quality that a lot of ADHD people definitely struggle with and I'm working on it. And I, I think struggle might- too. <laughs> But it sounds like you found success early. If you were already doing headshots in college, um, were you getting paid? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually, I would say, the beginning of when I was taking photos, quote unquote, professionally. So I wasn't making much money. I think I charged like $60 for a session back then. Um, but that's the first time I actually started doing photos for money. And then I also took um, more like lifestyle images for my sorority at the time. Um, And then, yeah, after college, I kind of walked away from it. But I remember at one point I was talking to one of my managers at my first ever job and also my last real job, quote unquote. Um, And she was like, why are you here, Regan? Why don't you do photography? And I was like, I don't know. But I think what scared me was that There's so much uncertainty in freelancing and in creative fields. It's like, I didn't, I wasn't there mentally. (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't ready to like step out on my own and do that. And what gave you the confidence to do that? Well, it's funny because I didn't, honestly, I just got tired of doing other stuff, to be honest. (laughs) And so if we flash forward a couple years, you know, we had moved abroad, we had come back, I was teaching English, but I was working these insane hours. So I'd get up at 2am and start teaching at 2.30 in the morning, because I was teaching in a different time zone. And then I'd finish by 9 or 9.30 in the morning. But because of that, I didn't really get any free time to see people because I was free during the day when everyone was working. And then I had to go to bed at like 8 p.m. So I quit that and I got a position and study abroad, which was eliminated four months after that. So like in what was this 2018, 2019, I had this like crazy year where I like kept trying new things, kept trying new things and everything like kept failing. And so at that point. I had seen a flyer at a coffee shop for a studio space. And so I was like, I don't know, let me call, let me call this number and see how much this would be. And it was actually a really good price. And so I was like, well, I think if I work really hard, I can at least, you know, break even on this the first couple months, hopefully start making money. I was doing you know, I was networking a lot. And so I had some more of those like connections with graphic designers and stuff. And they were asking me if I wanted to shoot with them more often. And so yeah, good old January 2020. I was like, 
let's just give it a go. I'll try it for this year. We'll see if anything good comes of it. Um, yeah. What am I waiting for? Well, and around that same time, the landscape shifted dramatically. Um, yeah, that was a terrible time to start a photography business. Yeah. So, how, I mean, how did that work? <laughs> so, full disclosure, I am not the primary breadwinner in our household. So, for me, I have, you know, a little bit more flexibility where I can take those risks. And so, I had enough savings where I could, you know, go a couple months and pay for the studio space, regardless of whether I made money or not. Right. But <laughs> March comes around. I've been shooting this space a bunch. It's fantastic. I love it. I finally feel like I have my own space where I can start taking clients because I was shooting at our house, but it was, we had moved into a smaller apartment. And so it was just really uncomfortable. And then I was paying for, you know, hourly studio rentals. It was super expensive. And so when March came around, I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I can go into this studio anymore. I don't know if I'm going to be taking portraits. I don't know what I'm going to be doing. So Essentially, I terminated that lease early. So I talked to the person who owned the building. I was like, hey, I can't, I can't stay here. I'm so sorry, but I can't stay here. And so thankfully, I had referred a bunch of other people who could take my place and they took over for me. Um, but yeah, then I spent a couple months trying to figure out like what I was going to do with my life, essentially like laying on the couch, sad, playing my switch. Like, what am I going to do? Right. And then... I think that fall I took a YouTube course and that is what of what kind of like pushed me back more into the content creation along with um, photography once things kind of came back in 2021. Well, I mean, I don't know your finances like, you know, personally, but you were able to take a lot of trips and if you know, Austin is a primary breadwinner. Somebody's still paying for the, you know, the vacations and the canoeing and the rowing and the K-pop classes and the, you guys lived a pretty active life and that stuff's not cheap. Like, no, I think you were, you were probably doing your part pretty well. And I think that goes a lot to say. I, I at least broke even in my business. You know what I mean? Like yeah, <laughs> every way. year I've at least broken even, if not, you know, earned more. So it's like that first year, I was just like, I don't want to burn money going into this. So, yeah. I mean, and we did. <laughs> I think you have a bit of a, a bit of a habit of shortchanging yourself a little bit because you work with like Hideaway Pizza, um, mm -hmm. Adobe, and I think you, you told me about another big client that you work with. Who's, who's the other one? Uh, I've worked with the Asian District in Oklahoma City, Dead Center. Um, am I missing other ones? When I first got started, I was doing a lot with one of my friends who runs the house. Um, yeah, Joby, I'm sure there's ones I'm missing. Yeah, but I, I mean, <laughs> major label. So it's, you weren't doing nothing. And, mm -hmm. um, I think it's really interesting that you, I don't, you, you, <laughs> you play all these roles that you don't really claim you're a model for Joby. You don't call yourself. That's true. A <laughs> I guess. You, I know that it's you, out of convenience. Yeah, but they like them and they keep coming back to you, right? That's true. That's true. So they do. You are a model for Joby. <laughs> and instead of saying, 
you know, I'm a model and content creator. And what you say is like freelance graphic designer and I do some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Armed career. Like, it's pretty cool. Thanks. I, I would love to do that. It's like, I'll just create the content and take the pictures and be the pictures. And which I know it's a lot of work as well. And, you know, that's the part that could easily get overlooked. But whenever you get to control your schedule, pretty, you don't have to depend on anybody else for anything. That must be nice. I do love that. I wake up, I sleep in, I go snorkeling in the morning. Sometimes if I don't have to work, I don't work. Now when I have to work, I'm like, gross, I have to do this. But (laughs) But I like money at the end of the day, so I'm like, I'll do it. <laughs> so would you consider yourself an introvert? Oh, my God. Absolutely. I'm very much an introvert. Well, it's different. I guess probably I'm an ambivert because I do enjoy talking one-on-one with people or like small groups of people. But once we get over maybe like four, I found it extremely overwhelming and overstimulating And I only have like so much time. Like I have maybe like four hour time block of like socializing before I'm completely done. And then I need like a day to recover. Mm -hmm. So I am definitely an introvert. I love spending time alone. Not as much now because I spend maybe like too much time alone. (laughs) But when I was working in an office, I was like, once I leave, I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to talk to anyone. I just want to be alone. So I I thought that you would say that. And I think it's really interesting because you say that you're definitely an introvert, but you do lots of things that would suggest otherwise. You love going to like Like what? You move to Puerto Rico and you go out by yourself to explore and, you know, locations and check out like the restaurants and the, the local districts. And you, I mean, you explore places Mm -hmm. on them. That sounds to me not introverted. Well, you know what I'd say? I think I'm friendly. Mm -hmm. I'm friendly, but at the end of the day, I would prefer to never leave the house. Or if I did leave the house, I would prefer to never see anyone when I do. But at the same time with my friends, like I love seeing them. I wish I could see them more often. I love meeting them for coffee and chatting but like strangers, I don't know. I have no interest in carrying a, on a conversation. Actually, this may be a foreign concept to you because you're so outgoing. But when we go on walks, my partner and I, Austin, we will often get stopped by someone who just talks at us for like 15, 20 minutes at a time. And I never know how to leave those conversations. And they're always excruciating for mm-hmm. me, which I, I I hope that doesn't sound like mean. It's just like, I feel like an extrovert might invite that, (laughs) but for me, it's like, okay, great. We've done the small talk. Like, I hope you have a good day. (laughs) And I genuinely do hope they have a good day. It's just, I don't want to keep talking to them. So I think you might suffer from what one of my really good friends has. It's called resting pleasant face. Probably, probably. It's like invites that conversation. (laughs) RBF, which I think I do. Like, which is funny because I'm the one like, I want to talk to everybody, but people yeah. don't know me think I'm mean or, you know, I'm serious all the time. And I'm like, uh-huh. that's weird. So you just have that face that looks like I'm going to tell you my whole life story. Truly. Like, <laughs> or show me all the rocks they found walking around. I'm like, okay. 
So do you find it a challenge to, I mean, you said to like escape those conversations, but in your life, do you feel like you often find yourself playing a role that, you know, is a supporter, like a shoulder to lean on, which makes you be that person who is kind of getting talked at and how do you mm-hmm. deal with You know, in my personal life with people I know, I don't find myself because I think people that know me know that I'm not the person to go to like, I'm not that like nurturing type. (laughs) I mean that in the nicest way, but like, I'm not the person to cry on their shoulder. I'm, I don't have like much good advice to give in that regard. Obviously with my partner, that's different because I know, you know, what he needs to hear and stuff like that. But I see it more so in my professional life. And I think that Kate kind of talked about this on her episode is that for me, work and personal life have always been really separate. And so I have my work personality and the things they know about me there and then my personality outside of work. And a lot of times they're different. And I just felt that that was always because I had to be a certain way at work, like, you know, I have to be quote unquote professional. And I think as I have started freelancing, there are, there are still like moments where I'm like, oh, I should wear this or, oh, I need to do this. But then I'm like, no, I don't. It's my business. Like if they don't want to be on a Zoom call with me with no makeup and a sweatshirt on and dirty hair, then they're not the kind of person that I should be working with. And so now I try to just not put myself in those situations where I feel like I can't be myself. Mm. Now, obviously, because I'm, you know, doing content creation and stuff and it's not always going on my platform, sometimes you do have to play that role a little bit. But I just view it more as acting, like playing a part. I don't view it as being inauthentic to myself. Right. If that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. And, you know, authenticity is what I'm all about. People might think that means I think you're fake if you're playing a role. And that's not the case. You know, you Mm -hmm. have to have have goals and objectives in your life that you want to meet and staying true to those and trying to keep the values that you prioritize, you know, safe is kind of it's kind of the dance you have to, you have to play and it's a balancing act. So if you're able to do like meet those goals and objectives without sacrificing anything of yourself, fantastic. Like I'm super Mm -hmm. happy, but sometimes you have to be willing to give, give a little bit. And that might be, man, I have to put on a a jacket for this meeting because it's (laughs) a nice restaurant or, you know, whatever. It might be something really small, to me, but to other people it might be a huge deal. You just have to make those decisions. And it's having mm-hmm. to know that you're making that decision is what I think is, is authenticity versus mm-hmm. doing whatever you're told and not really having any, uh, any awareness of how you feel about that until you're bitter later on. <laughs> yes, that's so true. It's, but I, I get myself into situations like that a lot because I get so excited at the beginning of something but sometimes I don't fully realize what I'm taking on. And then I get in the weeds of it and I'm like, oh my God, I've made a huge mistake. And then I try not to do that. I try not to resent people in my head because I'm like, well, I said yes to doing this. Like I agreed to it. But instead I try to just make a mental note of like next time, Regan, 
don't do this again. Finish it because we don't quit, but don't do this again in the future. But that's one of the nice things about working for yourself is you can put those boundaries up and each time you can be a little more like careful about what you take on. But I I think it just comes from like inexperience because you don't know until you know sometimes. And I I really appreciate your mentality with that because, you know, I like to believe in volunteer, not victim. So Mm -hmm. if I to do this thing and it was exactly what they told me, but now I hate it. That's not like, I'm not a victim there. It's not, nobody put that on me. I took it on on myself, but it's really easy to make uh, present Bruce victim to past Bruce. And you can't do that. You still have to be, you know, you're one and the same. It's like you made the choice. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate you saying like, you signed up for it. You got to finish it because we don't quit. And that's, you know, because your name is, it's a huge part of your business. You can't be that person who mm-hmm. doesn't finish projects, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, so long as the scope of the project doesn't change in the middle of it, right? right. Like if we agreed to A and I start doing A and I'm like, oh, this sucks. I didn't charge enough or like, oh, I didn't realize how intense this was going to be. Okay, whatever. I'm just going to finish it. As long as it doesn't become A plus B plus C, that's when I'm like, pause, pause, pause. <laughs> So I think there's, yeah, it just depends on the situation, of course. But yeah, I try not to. I'll complain the whole time, but I try not to take it personally after the fact. Right. So being a creative, I have to ask, I know it's hard for a lot of people to say no to the ask. Whenever, you know, they start trying to add on things and, well, let's revise it one more time. Or let's add this thing. Just go ahead and do uh, a couple of email templates for us or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm hard is it for you to navigate those situations? Well, I think it's just something you get better at because you know the questions, the more experience you get, you know, the questions to ask before you get started. And then like a big thing for me was making sure that I have all of that in writing signed before so that if that does come up, we can always go back and say, Hey, that's not within this. It's going to be, you know, XYZ additional, or I don't have the capacity to do that during this time frame. We can look at that in the future. Or like, I see the, pro- the scope of this project is changing. If it, you know, do we need to draw up a new contract and agreement to continue moving forward? It just depends. But you don't know those questions to ask unless someone else tells you or until you've like made that mistake, mm-hmm. which for me People can tell me a million times and it just never clicks until I have that personal painful experience that I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, we're not going to do this again. I mean, it sounds like you have, you've polished those ands or those uh, responses pretty well. Like you've had to use them quite a bit. It depends. <laughs> sometimes I go in Facebook groups and I just Google and I like copy what other people have said, because sometimes you're so emotional. Like it feels like someone's trying to take advantage of you that you just can't respond with a clear head. And so that's why it's nice to just have like copy and paste. Someone else wrote it. It sounds nice and professional. You can just put it in the email and move on with your life. That's, I mean, that's a really smart idea. I'm definitely a person who can start to respond in the emotion, which I'm to, to be fair. I do that too. I don't have a lot of like roller coaster emotions, but I could still be irritated and respond whenever it'd be, probably a better idea to go say what is the better way to respond to this issue so i think going in a facebook group and just copying and pasting is definitely a good idea 
if you just want mm-hmm. results, you don't want to, you know, it's, you get the feeling you want to win or you want to like, well, they're taking advantage of me. I want to, I want to hit them back where it hurts. And that's not, it's not going to win. No. And I <laughs> always try to give myself time to like come down from my emotions because I, you know, I am like very reactive. And so if I were to fire back something immediately, it probably wouldn't be very nice. But if I give myself like 24 hours to think through the way I'm feeling and like why I'm feeling that way and kind of detach from that a little bit, I can usually respond in a nicer way that's not loaded with like accusations or, you know, things like that. Because at the end of the day, I think a lot of times I'm just making up these narratives about why they're asking these things or why they're trying to go outside of it. And I get this thought that like, oh, they're taking advantage of me when oftentimes they're not trying to take advantage of me. It's just that's the way I perceive it. And so I know for myself, I have to calm down and, you know, think through and process those emotions before I can be before I can give a professional response. How long did it take you to develop that ability? Well, I'm more of the avoidant type. So, <laughs> uh, so typically my preference would just be to like disappear, never respond, never continue. You know what I mean? Like I would prefer to just avoid the problem, but like I have to respond. I can't not respond. And so I think it's just like venting with my partner And then him saying like, you know, maybe you're interpreting this a little differently than reality. Or I ask him to read through my response that I draft and say like, how does this sound? Things like that. Um, So the not responding thing comes naturally. It's more so that pressure that's like, oh God, I do have to respond. I can't just disappear. That um, it's like managing that. You've mentioned Austin, your partner, several times. Mm -hmm. How crucial is he to really honoring yourself in these work situations? Mm. Well, we don't technically work together. He does help me a lot now, but we're not like business partners. Right. Um, But I don't know. I think he does a good job of helping me or being a sounding board that I can process things through. I'm sure like I don't, sometimes you just need to vent. Sometimes something is bothering you and you don't need advice. You just need to get all of those angry emotions out. And then that's all it takes for you to relax and calm down. But for me, he provides that sounding board, that outside perspective, because he's not involved in my business at all, where he can say, respond this way, like use this strategy. I say it in my own words, of course, or I'll write it out because sometimes I'm like, ew, that's too professional. I don't talk like that. And I'm, I'm not going to respond that way. Like business speak, you know, formal writing. Um, but yeah, it's more so like someone to, to bounce ideas off of and just kind of get a reading for how I'm interpreting situations versus how they might actually be occurring. You, you and Austin have a relationship that is, it seems, you know, at least from the outside, as a partnership. That's something that I've only recently acquired. You know, I've been married almost 12 years now, and we weren't partners. That's not, really? it's not because either one of us didn't want to be. It's that we didn't realize we weren't until we started hmm. acting as partners. We started communicating better, and we started talking more. 
and I started to use her as you were speaking of as a sounding board and um, not just complaining at her, but like listening to her whenever she, you know, does give me, you know, help me uh, kind of formulate responses and, you know, Mm -hmm. putting in the data into her computer and seeing what she gets back out. And that was, you know, it's a big difference between having a wife and having a wife that's that's your partner um mm-hmm. so you know, as you talk about your partner all the time i've just i've seen it as long as i've known you guys that you guys just really you allow each other to be there for the other one and that's you know mm-hmm. you guys have both supported each other while you've been, you know been through job transitions and you have done you know you moved all right did he move to paris with you or is that the other way around yeah we did it together we moved to france together so, I mean, you guys have been through some major stuff. And how old are you now? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I turned 30 this week. So, oh, my. Well, happy birthday. That's so exciting. Thanks. <laughs> I, I'm excited for you because I'm old. I'm turning 40 in two years. So it's like, <laughs> I know. I learned that in the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to be reminded because I'm like, how old am I again? But, you know, you've done a lot of living and a lot of relationshiping in the first, you know, the early period of your, or your early period of your relationship. That's and true. I don't know, you guys grew up fast in a good way versus mm-hmm. wife and I, who we're just babies who were thinking that we were adults. And the communication part is so important to building a, a lasting relationship. And I just see that in you guys. And I, I'm happy for you. Thank you. Yeah. I never really thought of it like that, but you were, you're right. I think we just have, I mean, we both like doing new things. And so it's something that we enjoy and it's really exciting. I think what's more difficult is once the excitement wears off, <laughs> like, so we've reached about a year in Puerto Rico and that's usually when the excitement for things wears off, but it's like, we're not leaving this time. We're staying for good. And so for us, I think it's a little harder to navigate of course, the more challenging parts when there's no more exciting, like new novelty to things. But I also, I think he's such a sounding board for me because when you freelance, like I don't have coworkers, I don't have coworkers I can talk to or a manager. I can ask, how should I respond to this? How should I strategically navigate this uncomfortable situation? And so for me, he kind of fills in as that coworker occasionally. Though we had to go through a point where it was like, I'm just venting. I don't want advice or I'm venting and please give me advice because some it's two separate occasions. Sometimes you want that advice. Sometimes you don't. And if you're getting advice when you don't want it, that was a challenging thing for me. But now it's always like, can I give you advice? No matter whether he's complaining to me or I'm complaining to him. And that's, I mean, that's a really valuable lesson The I'm still working on the, do you want advice in this situation or do you just want me to listen? Because mm-hmm. if I'm talking to you about something, I want, I want to leave this conversation with a solution. And that is not how my wife, like her brain works totally different than mine. And that's something I appreciate. And I, I've learned to really love because if she thought the way I did, nothing would get done. Like we, you know, we probably argue all the time and I know we, we do argue sometimes, but it's generally because we just have different views of what we want the outcome to be. And we, you know, mm-hmm. figure out it's the same thing. She just thinks about it a different way than I do. And whenever it comes to me having a problem that I'm bringing to her, I really appreciate her having that 
that other perspective. So, you know, mm-hmm. you could marry somebody just like you, but I think that you'd be really missing out on, like, you know, the, the synergy aspect of marriage. Uh-huh. Well, you two are opposites, and we're two opposites as well. So I agree. I think it works great. <laughs> um, being... I, like once again, you say you're an introvert, but it's you are really one of the most outgoing introverts I've ever met. Not that you, you know, came over and knocked on my door or anything, but you didn't shy away from the conversation at all. Whenever we, you know, being Austin started talking, I believe you kind of came out and said hi, and I was like, oh hi, who's this? Versus me being like, who's that hiding in the garage in there? Which is kind of how my wife is. <laughs> Um, well, Bruce, I think we met through food. And so <laughs> I feel like you came over and you were like, I'm making plates. Do you guys want some? And we were like, absolutely. So it was a great introduction. That's true. I, I do cheat. <laughs> like, <laughs> come talk to me. <laughs> no, that was great. I mean, otherwise, I probably, I don't know that I would have. Normally, you know, I'm not, I don't, can't think of any other neighbor that we've been close friends with maybe that we've chatted with while they had a yard sale and we bought something, but not anyone that I've ever become friends with. So I feel like maybe it was just the introduction of food. And I'm like, I want to know what are we having? I want to make a decision that was made me feel more comfortable. Um, like entering the conversation. Cause typically I would not like people come to our house here. I don't talk to them. I stay inside. Mm. So, and that, okay, that's true. My wife too, if there's food involved, she'll, she'll make, she'll pop up and <laughs> we want to have mm-hmm. this. And I think that there's a little bit of a, uh, a pattern there. Um, later this month, I'm having on my old neighbor from my old neighborhood who I think really? that also bonded over food. It was, it was our kids first, but like I entered the conversation through food because the, the, both the K was Kate and Kate. They, uh, they uh-huh. just being friends as our kids played in the street. And then I was like, food. I want to be friends too. <laughs> that's like your welcome gift. That's your way to make friends. I think that's like tried and true. Got to keep people to stay. Like, oh, you guys want to stay for dinner? We can hang out for three more hours. Well, your food's really good though, too. It's not like bad food. It's really good. I, I, I'm I'm shy about a lot, but that's one thing I will definitely say confidently is I can cook. So yeah, you can. Food. I would agree. <laughs> Um, so, you know, saying that being in a brand new, not only city, but a brand new country again, like you've done this before, so you're not completely unfamiliar, but didn't, did you know French when you moved to, uh, Paris? So Mm -hmm. here is that you did not know the language when you moved this time. I know that you've been taking a lot of classes. I think you have a pretty, like a decent fluency now. I can, I can do okay, but I can't talk on the telephone yet. I'm not good on the phone, but mm. in person I can do okay. So how, but how hard was that to navigate as an introvert in a new place and with a new language and you, you guys have had so many challenges there. You've had to deal with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. How yeah. are you like, you know, keeping yourself safe? Uh-huh. I, I well, So we thought, I know I definitely did. I don't want to speak for both of us, but we thought that moving here would be like pretty straightforward because we've moved to France before. And so we know some of those challenges. Um, And I think we may have stayed in France had 
I, because when we moved to France, I was just like so overwhelmed. I was so anxious. I was sick all the time from my anxiety. I lost a ton of weight those first three months just because I was so stressed and I was never not stressed during the time we were there. And so it wasn't despite studying abroad there, speaking the language, really enjoying it before that, after we moved, I just like, I wasn't having a good time at all. I was having a very, 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 very bad time. Um, and then it was unfortunate because a month before we left, I got my residence card, which is what was driving all of my anxieties was this constant uncertainty of how much longer is this going to take? Um, but we thought having that experience, we would be prepared for this and it would be a lot easier because there's also no visa coming here. Um, but it was entirely different, entirely, entirely different. And so what was helpful was knowing like, oh, it's going to suck at first and eventually it will get better. Like, you know, we learned that, but all of the challenges here were different than the ones we had in France. And so it was just, it was, a, it was very different. It's, I thought they would be comparable before we came, but they're just, they're different. It's so different. So when, when you face all these new different challenges, you, you talk a little bit about your anxiety. Like how, how did you deal? How bad did your anxiety get? How, I mean, if you don't mind talking about it. Mm -hmm. how, no, I don't mind. I've been anxious all my life. <laughs> um, I remember distinctly, you know, it'll be just like the smallest things cause it. I remember as a kid, uh, my anxiety would always make me sick to my stomach. And so I was always that, like my, whenever my family got a new car, just the fact that it was a new car and I wasn't used to it, I would throw up in the car. Oh, wow. And so it'd be like every single car, just like clockwork. Or it's like someone texts me before school that I don't usually talk to, sick. So it was like, no matter what I did as a kid, it was just like, I'm always getting sick. I'm always upset to my stomach. And so after I moved out and I started to become more independent, I just wasn't in as many stressful situations, you know, because you have more control over your environment. You can plan your day. You're not really at the whim of your parents or your siblings. Um, but this was so difficult for me because there were just a million things that were out of our control, like completely out of our control that it was it was I just yeah, I couldn't I couldn't deal with it. Like I had a mental breakdown last year. It was maybe like two weeks long um, where I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything. So I'd stay up till four in the morning and then I'd sleep maybe once the sun rose for two hours, but I couldn't sleep very well because I was very anxious. Um, no more sickness, but it's always that nauseous feeling. And then I couldn't do anything during the day because I was crying uncontrollably. And so I've never taken medication for my anxiety, but this happened, you know, for a week. And I was like, I can't function. Like I can't do anything. Um, but it was so many things happening at once. Like it was just more overwhelmed than I had ever had before. And so, um, I contacted my doctor, tried to get medication, but my doctor's still in Oklahoma. And so because I wasn't there in person, they couldn't help me, but I had just <laughs> sent my passport to be renewed and changed over my driver's license. So I couldn't fly back home because I didn't have any valid form of identification to fly. And so uh, it was just it was a really, really terrible time. <laughs> um, what eventually happened was 
one of my one of the big things that was stressing me out was a work project. Um, I put on my happy smiley face to take my photos, to take my videos, and then uh, once I finished that, I didn't have anything else I had to do, so I just did nothing. And then when I finally got to go back to Oklahoma and visit my doctor, I got anxiety medication. So I don't take it daily. It's just if I feel something coming on and I need to take care of it, I have it with me. Um, but thankfully, I don't have to use it that often. But that was a really, really, really terrible time <laughs> about like a couple months after we moved because everything hit all at the same time and none of my coping skills were working and I couldn't go to the doctor and it was just like terrible. So you said it lasted about two weeks and mm-hmm. what, what brought you out of that? Finishing that work project. So that, that was I think enough. that was the initial, the initial trigger was I got a project and it was like, I needed to do four things in two weeks. Now, okay, that sounds easy, right? But that's, that's about like a quarter of the time I would typically spend on those four things. And so that combined with, I don't have electricity. My house just got broken into, we don't have a vehicle. Um, you know, it's like all these things came together and I felt like I was losing my mind. And so, you know, eventually I was able to just pull it together for long enough to film and do what I needed to do. And then once that was over that two week period, I was like, you know, I thought I was ready to come back to work, but I wasn't. And I need to take this time genuinely where I don't have to do something and intentionally relax. Because I'm very bad about that, where if I don't have to do something, I still worry about the things that I could be doing. Right. And then so I never actually relax because I'm always thinking about what I could be doing. I, I remember you going through a lot of that stuff because you, you know, you mm-hmm. share on your, you know, to at least to your close friends about the, the yeah. power and getting broken into and I just knew that you were already in a strange place, as beautiful as it is. So I was worried about you. Um, not, I had no idea the degree in which you were suffering. And that makes me sad because you're my friend and I hate to hear that. Yeah. Did you, did you reach out to anybody? Well, I did try to come, you know, I was like, okay, this is not working. I think maybe I just need a break like a break from the environment where I can reset and come back. So I did contact my mom about maybe coming home for a week and then coming back to Puerto Rico. But uh, same as going to my doctor, I realized after I started making plans, I was like, I can't because I don't have a real ID and I don't have my passport, so I can't get on a plane. And so that's when I was like, oh, my God, there is no solution to this problem and that involves me leaving. So I just have to do whatever I can to finish what I know is causing my anxiety. Well, the one thing that I can control, which was my work project, there were a bunch of things out of my control that were also contributing to it, like the electricity, the car, the break-in, things like that. But I was like, okay, I need to just work on this one thing that I can control. Maybe that's what's pushing me over the edge and just get that done. And then afterwards, really, really, really make an effort to detach and decompress. Did you finish the work project like in the, by the deadline? 
we had to extend it a little bit because of the break-in. I was like, I'm not going to be able to work in the days following that. So I extended it by, I think, three or four days. Um, but I did finish it. Yes. <laughs> wow. That's impressive. Having dealt with... I didn't have a choice. I really wanted to not do it, but I deadlines. It's like, okay, I agreed to do this. I said I'd be coming back to work at this time. And so I felt like, oh my gosh, it was just a lot at one singular point, one two week period. It was just too much. So having gotten it done in such a short period of time compared to what you usually would have done it in, has it made you reassess your expectations of yourself? No, because that was terrible. I think that, especially when it comes to creativity, it's, if you, I don't know, I think we all have a base level of what we like to work at. And my, you know, baseline of productivity may be different from your baseline of productivity. And I know that if I don't want to be burnt out, or if I want to continue on, it's like the, the, tur- uh, the tortoise and the hare, right? For me, I know that I need to be a tortoise. So I need to move at a slower pace because if I do that, I can consistently keep going. But if I move like a tortoise or like a hare, like a rabbit, I'm going to burn out. And then I'm going to have a period of time where I can't do anything. And then I'm going to do it again and I'm going to burn out. And so for me, I would never do that many in that short of the time period again, because I know if I do, because I've done it in the past, that I'm going to burn out in a month or two and I won't be able to do anything. So for me, it's more important to make sure that I'm not doing too much so that I can keep doing stuff and I can continue to have ideas and I can continue to be creative because if not, I'm just not going to have those ideas. I'm going to dread waking up. I'm going to dread doing my stuff. I'm not going to like anything I make. And so for me, that's really important is that balance. Did you end up, uh, were you proud of what you put out? So I am never excited about my projects when I finish them. I never like them when I send them, but it's always, it's done. It meets the brief or it meets what I said I was going to do. And it's out of my hands now. You know, it's good enough. And then I'll come back usually a few months later and watch them back and be like, oh my gosh, I did a really good job. Or sometimes I'll be like, oh, I kind of missed the mark on this one. I see something that I would do differently next time. But for me, I need like a little separation from being in the weeds of a project to actually see like, did I do a good job in my opinion? What can be improved? So it just depends. I haven't watched those videos in a while though, so I don't know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just... Your, your, your resiliency is impressive. Being anxious through all the stuff that you've done and still doing it is really, it's really a hard thing to do. Anxiety shuts, can shut people down. It shut me down from things. I've had days where I didn't get out of bed because it was just not, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to say get out of bed at all, but I didn't start my day until like two o'clock in the afternoon. And Mm -hmm. even my day was just like coming out to the couch so the kids could see that I was still alive. And that's, you mm-hmm. know, that's not an ideal place to be as a parent or as, you know, just a living or a human being at all. 
So knowing that you were dealing with such an extreme level of anxiety and still producing uh, the content, getting through all the other stuff you had to do while you were doing it, is it's really a testament to how strong of a person you are. Well, thank you. Honestly, I feel like I didn't have a choice at the time. <laughs> I was like, I just have to. If I had a choice, I probably would have stopped that project or delayed it a month or two or something. But it was like, I don't have a choice. And so I just had to do it. Like, what can you do if you don't have a choice, you know? In retrospect, do you think you did have a choice? No. <laughs> No, to be honest, because, um, you know, a lot of it when it comes to like social media stuff, there's these clear cut deadlines that we have to meet. And so my choice was extending the project a couple of days because of just extenuating circumstances that were out of my control. But beyond that, it's just like I knew I couldn't push it back so far because I still have a due date that I need to send stuff in for it to you know, be approved or send revisions or things like that. Um, so, but some projects, no, there's not a due date. And so that's why a lot of times my personal projects, I'll push back if I'm not, if I'm not excited about the idea anymore, or I have something else I'd rather be working on in my free time. Those don't have a due date. And so they often either don't get started and I just scrap an idea or, they get started later than I thought or finished later than I thought, but it's like, okay, who cares? It's just for a personal project. It's not for money. And that's supposed to be fun and fulfill you anyway. So I don't want to put this like weird pressure on myself to like get things done at a certain time when it's supposed to be that thing is supposed to be fun. So I'm, you are just talking about the separation between like work for them versus work for us, right? How do you, whenever you're working in a creative field and you're, you're making things like, you know, it's your intellectual property. It's coming from your mind. Even if, you know, they're supplying the product or even a brief that's pretty specific, you still have to, you have to make the thing. How do you protect Mm -hmm. your identity when you're doing that? I don't know. I feel like this is something that I'm always working on is finding that balance of like, okay, how do I give them what they're asking for? And then also put my own, spin on it. And that's what I try to do. Like when I started making YouTube videos back in like 2016 with my friends, it was like, oh, I was still in that marketing mindset. And I was like, I want to do the same thing that everyone else is doing, but I want to put my own creative spin on it. And so now I just try to do that. But sometimes you don't really have a choice. Like, you know, if someone sends you a specific script and says, read this while looking at the camera, I know I can't change that. I can change maybe the way I say it and I can change my intonation or the way I deliver it. But it's just, I think for me, you know, same as like my professional life and my personal life. Sometimes at the end of the day, it's like, okay, I'm getting money from this and I need this money in order to pursue the things that I want to do that maybe I don't make money from. And so I need to give the client what they want, even if it's not my favorite thing I've ever made, or even if I'm not going to put it in my portfolio, or even if it's not like my exact style, if I know what they want and I know they can deliver it, it's just like, it's going to work at the end of the day. And so, yes, you still get to do something fun and creative, but like, it's still a job (laughs) and I want to do a good job and I want to give them what they want because I would like to exchange money for services, (laughs) 
But so I think that's the hard part about being a creative is sometimes it's just not going to be the most exciting thing you do ever. And it's not going to be the coolest, most creative thing, but it, it, it solves that person's problem and it gives them what they need and you can do that. And so, you know, spend your energy on those personal projects that you can fill your portfolio with and maybe, you know, move towards as you progress in your career, doing more of those specific things in your style. But I mean, I don't know. I see this all the time with photographers. It's like, yes, of course, we all want to do these like super cool editorial, like fashion spreads that are really creative, but those don't pay like anything. And so instead, behind the scenes, maybe you don't share it, but you're shooting a lot of like e-commerce products on white, like not boring, not creatively fulfilling, but it pays the bills. Do you know what I mean? So it's like you have to be pragmatic. So whenever you have a client who gives you a specific brief that's boring, I feel like it's an easy call for you because you just have to do exactly what you don't have to really create any creative anything you just do what they tell you to do what about when you have a client who gives you a pretty vague brief and then doesn't like what you bring back how do you handle that so it's funny because sometimes there's a little cognitive dissonance there right like they give you a super specific brief and then they want you to be like wildly creative and you're like okay but if you want me to be creative don't give me such a specific brief right um But what I have done to kind of solve that problem, whether this is photography or content creation, is I just try to have as much communication before we start to make sure we're on the same page. Um, And that way, because what takes the most time is actually shooting the photos or videos, editing them, you know, all of that fun stuff. I think the fun stuff, exhausting, but fun. So you don't want to like redo that. So to avoid that, you just have to be more communicative before you start, get things approved, um, and just make sure that is all set, that you're on the same page before you actually start doing the creative stuff. So, I mean, it sounds like you're super preventative, and that's ideal. I try to be, but you can't always. I mean, sometimes, sometimes people want the moon, or sometimes you think you are on the same page and then it comes back after you deliver it and they're like, no, this is not what we were looking for. So I try my best, but it just depends. What what did that situation, what do those situations look like whenever you think that you've handled everything ahead of time and then you deliver the item and they're just like, no, what does that look like? I, I think that's where compromise comes in, right? If, you know, sometimes, right. Maybe I didn't do a good job. Maybe I just kind of phoned this one in. I was having a bad day or something. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. I Maybe I should reshoot this or maybe I should redo this. Other times, it's like, no, I did a good job. And so that's when it comes to making compromises. So it's like, if they want a reshoot, maybe it's like, no, we're going to change the color in Photoshop of this item so that it's less distracting. Like, that's fine. Or if it's for a video, like, no, I'm only going to reshoot these specific shots. I'm not going to change everything in it. And so I think that's, it's like give and take, you know, just like any relationship, like yes to this, but no to this. And in a compromise, no side is perfectly happy, but each one is happier. So 
how how stern are you able to be whenever because i mean we talked about some of your photo licensing stuff and how i mean you really do think of a lot of stuff ahead of time but whenever they come back and they want to reshoot are they are you able to say okay that's going to cost this much because the you know should you know the brief says here this is what you want mm-hmm. and and we solved that problem in the content we created so i'm not doing this for free are you are you pretty confident in doing that it just depends. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> nothing is black and white. So it depends how big is what they're asking for. Am I going to have to sit down and redo this entire thing? If that's the case and I delivered what I would consider to be something good, then it's going to be like a no to do that. Not a no, but to do that, it's an additional cost or to do that, it's an additional delay for the project. And then I think ultimately it's just leaving it up to them to make the decision, right? It's like, what is more important to them? Is it more important that it's done now? Are they happy to pay more to have something changed? But I can't, I can't say what that is because I don't know. I'm not them. I'm not their marketing department. I don't know what constraints they have with their boss or their team or their projects. And so I think it's just trying to figure out like what will make me happy at the end of this and feel okay with it and not feel like I was taken advantage of. I mean, that's, that's really the big thing is do you feel like you got appreciated in the, in, in the deal and that you gave away something of value. Like that's, the yeah. book. um, do you consider yourself as a two part question, an authentic person and what is authenticity to you? Mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting. I don't, cause like I said earlier, right? Like I have my work persona, I have my personal life persona So I don't know that I would always say I was like authentic. It's kind of like when you withhold information in order not to lie. You know, when people will just not tell like the whole truth and it's not technically a lie. So I think for a long time, and I still think I do this because I'm more reserved with my personal life. And so a lot of times I just won't like give up information. And it's not necessarily that I'm not being true to myself. It's just... I don't want certain people to have access to a certain part of my life. Right. And I think this is especially like prevalent because it's like, if I put my life on the internet, I'm just not open to comments from people I don't know from strangers about certain aspects. Like I just don't care their opinions. And so those are probably things that I'm not going to share or a side of me that I'm not going to share and put out onto the internet because I know anytime I do share that, I'm opening up myself to criticism. And as much as I want to say like, oh, I don't care, like I do care and I don't like mean comments. And so, but I do that in my personal life too. Like I feel like it takes me a long time to truly feel comfortable and like someone and genuinely consider them a friend. It takes me like a couple years. And so that's a long time. It's not that I'm necessarily being authentic. I feel like I am being who I am, but I think it takes me a while to judge like what I think their intentions are. Do I think they're a genuine person? Do I think that they're kind or, and I'm working on being more vulnerable, but I think that maybe my reservation 
can make me not the most authentic because I just don't want to show my true self to people unless I know that I respect them or I like them or I know they're a genuine person and it's not going to come back to bite me years later where it's like, mm. not to say, not to be mean, but like, oh, I wish, I wish we hadn't been friends, which yeah. has not ever really happened to me, maybe like once or twice, but you know. I'm also not like super close friends with a ton of people. So I don't think I invite that either. But I think that also comes back to being an introvert. I'm not super close friends with a bunch of people because I just don't have time or the social energy to maintain a huge group of friends. So for me, it's more fulfilling to have a couple very close friends rather than a bunch of like sort of friends. I think that's a totally valid answer. And a lot of people, I think we've talked about this in an earlier episode, confuse authenticity with complete openness. Like, yeah. you, like being authentic has a lot to do with making the decision of who gets to know what part of you. You know, that is that's totally yeah. your being self-aware and saying whenever somebody is in an intimate friend that you actually share intimate things with them. And I do know some people. Get, they get a little confused there because now they're so used to omitting parts of themselves that they don't want to, you know, it's like, this is my close friend, but they don't know anything mm-hmm. about it. So used to not sharing that. And, you know, I just mm-hmm. think self-awareness is so important of knowing the boundaries you're setting and being aware of whenever it's time to remove those boundaries, it's time to, you know, take an interest in like a deeper part of somebody because you want to take that next step or else, like you said, you end up not having any deep friendships because you didn't mm-hmm. go there with anybody. And people can feel that, you know, the same way you can yeah. feel somebody's genuine. People can, it's like, well, this person isn't really concerned with getting to know me very deeply or letting me know them very deeply. Mm-hmm. Some people are, they're up for that. And some people aren't, and that's your choice to make. But I, I really think that it's an important thing to look at is, Am I being aware of the boundaries I'm setting with my friends and and when I'm omitting things because I'm afraid to go that next that next mm-hmm. level? Like I don't I don't ever want people to make fear based decisions. If you're mindful yeah. and you're, you know, this is I, I'm not ready to share that with somebody, then yeah, go for it. But if you're like I'm afraid they're not going to accept me, I, I hope that people can overcome that and say if they don't accept me, then I'd rather find out now than whenever I actually need them to accept me. That's, that's a scary. Mm-hmm. Thing. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause I've never, I've never really thought of it like that, but I feel like what takes me some time is deciding whether I want that person to accept me. You know, mm-hmm. like I have to make my own judgment of that person over time before I decide, like, do I care about their opinion? But I mean, I don't know, maybe you experienced this too. 20 year old Regan is a little different than like, almost 30 Regan when it comes to caring about what other people think. And so I think because of that maturity over time, I also just care a little less so I can be more of who I am. And because of that, it's easier for me to make friends because I don't feel like I have to be a certain way or act a certain way in order to fit in. But at the same time, like I also want to make my own judgment of the other person before I decide if I want to be friends with them. So for me, it's like a little give and take. Absolutely. And as far as, you know, versions, I've talked, I think 
uh, episode three with Derek, we talked about versions. And I'm mm-hmm. yeah, version five point two is what I what I think yeah. I where I'm I'm pretty deep into the development of myself. I don't think I'm done, but I think I'm at a you know a pretty advanced version of it. And in that mm-hmm. version, I don't want to I don't want to BS. So I'm not gonna put everything out on the table for everybody. But if you get past a certain like point with me. I'm likely going to be just completely flat out myself with you just because if you're not here for it, then you're not here for it. And I, you know, I'd rather yeah. find later. Like, Hey, this is me. Yeah. <laughs> or, or get. And then it's not, once again, that's not saying that I don't want to grow and I don't want to like learn to accept new things and develop myself better. It's just that I am aware of my weaknesses and I'll say, Hey, this is something that, that I struggle with. And mm-hmm. if I'm here for that struggle, it's okay if you just wouldn't see your way out and that's fine. I, my feelings won't be hurt. It's whenever I think that you are there for it and then you're not, that's, that's whenever it's painful for me. Yeah. I kind of had like a friend falling out last year where it's like, you know what I mean? Like I like to take some time to perceive what I think of other people before I open up to them. And it's like, I posted something I thought was a funny joke and they know me, but then they got, not to, this is entirely separate from like cancel culture, but they read into this joke in a way I would never perceive anyone to do, especially someone I consider to be a friend and like insulted me. And I was just so taken aback because I was like, okay, if a stranger messages me on the internet and says something like that, I'm like, okay, well, they're just like, not to be mean, but this is how I view hate comments. I'm like, they're out of their mind. Like, right. There are many strokes of people, and this is not someone whose opinion I would take outside of this, like, context, you know? If I met them in the street, I wouldn't say, like, yes, I'm going to take life advice from this person. (laughs) Which I think if you're online, you have to be discerning like that, because otherwise you can just get torn apart from the the multi... It's more opinions than you should ever have to hear about yourself. And so to then have that person, like... Misinter—I felt like they intentionally misinterpreted what I said, and I was just like, "Whoa!" Like this, it totally, it totally caught me off guard, and I had to have a moment where I was like, "Wow, I thought this person was really my friend," and then for them to come at me like this when they know that that's not what I was, not what I meant by that, mm-hmm. it just really—it kind of like shook me to my core and almost made me go back to that like no new friends. Like I don't need any new friends. But then I was like, no, I do like meeting people. I do like, you know, finding people who share the same interests as me that I can talk to about that. But for a little bit, I was like, it made me just not want to meet people anymore. Like not put myself out there. So I think it's interesting that you kind of, you're like, if this is not for you, it's not for you, but you have such a big personality. I think that that you you know either they like me or they don't like me but I think I'm a bit more uh reserved and maybe a little more of a people pleaser and so it takes me a bit of time to judge the other person and see like ooh, what's their vibe because I think I'm pleasant and most people are probably like yeah Regan's fine and so for me it's like hmm how are they though so that's interesting ever have a conversation with that person about the the thing or was it was their reaction enough for you to just say, oh, okay, that's, that's done. You know, we had that conversation that day 
And kind of how I said earlier, like, of course, I have emotional reactions to things. And sometimes they need to simmer down. And the more I thought of it, I was just like, you know, no. <laughs> like, if they would ever perceive this of me in the first place, like, no, I don't. But this was, I mean, I did have a, an interesting experience with this person once before. And so I think if this had been the first time that there was kind of like a weird red flag, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have dropped them from my friend rotation. <laughs> um, but it's because it was like, oh, when that happened, I thought of this other weird time that I had like just a weird interaction with them. And I was like, I just, it, we're good. It wasn't like one of my best friends. It was someone who I considered a friend, but not a best friend. And so I was like, I think we're good. Yeah. I don't think our values align. I think we're good. Oh, I read that, that last statement. I don't think our values align. I think that's so important to be able to say that, you know, I personally would probably say that to the person. I don't like people not knowing why we're not talking anymore. It's like, that's, not that's not okay with me. I don't want you to go around thinking that you're oh you know. I let them know I was not pleased and I felt like they were uh intentionally misrepresenting or misinterpreting what I said. Yeah. Like we had a conversation that day, but then the more I thought about it, I was like, No, no. Saying, uh, yeah, our values don't align either anymore or at all. Like that's I think mm -hmm. it's important perspective whenever it comes to honoring yourself. And once again, it's like those values are an important, an important part of your identity. And if you know that somebody is not respecting those, what, what's the point? Like, what is the point of, I mean, you can't convert people or you can't spend yeah. all people to your value system. It's and just, friendship is supposed to be fun. You know, like I don't want to feel like I'm walking on eggshells around someone that I'm supposed to be having a good time with or someone that I'm spending a lot of time with in the future. And so it's like, I don't know, like I'm very loyal to people. I try to see them out, but sometimes it's just too far. It's a step too far. And it's like, okay, this is a sign. Maybe we're not aligned in the way I thought we were. And that's okay. I can meet new people who maybe are aligned. It's not the end of the world if we're no longer friends or friends in the same way. Maybe it, it just becomes not as close acquaintances yeah <laughs> um, like each other's instagram picture but maybe don't comment a <laughs> <laughs> like but not a comment i like that um so that makes me think of it made me think of and now i've just completely went blank for a second we were just I always do that you laying like you know laying down the law about your you know your values and then not aligning anymore has there ever been a time when you've done that or you really felt like you were being authentic and it didn't like it did not pay out for you like it ended up burning you for some reason oh i can think of this quite often when i was a child I was oh, very yeah. outspoken and very strongly opinionated and because of that when i was like younger i just was like mean like i wasn't afraid to speak my mind and so but sometimes it wasn't like I meant to be mean. It's just I didn't realize how what was coming out of my mouth was going to be perceived. And I would just like talk. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And so, yeah, I can think of a lot of bridges I burned by just being a brat as a kid. And so, you know, in high school, maybe college, I was like, I need to be a nicer person. Not that I was a bully or that I was mean. It was just like, if I didn't agree with something, I would be the first person to say it. Um, But then I was like, I just, I don't want to be perceived that way. And, you know, maybe my like first gut reaction to something is not the reality. You know, as you get older, you think less in black and white and more in like, oh, there's like nuance to this. And so I think just part of that maturing was realizing like, oh, maybe I don't like what this person is saying at first, but maybe if I listen a little more, I can understand where they're coming from, even if I disagree. And I just didn't want to be someone that people perceived as like mean or argumentative. And so I don't know that I made a conscious decision ever, but I was like, I want to be a nice person. And so I just started intentionally being nice. Mm-hmm. Once again, it goes back but to yeah, I can think of a lot of, yeah, <laughs> as a kid. I, mean, I definitely, I don't hold that against any person. Like I said, uh, I said when I was talking to Derek, anything before you're 18 doesn't really count as yourself yet. Like you don't even really know mm-hmm. who are and then once i mean even that first version is almost like a throwaway i was watching the gilmore mm-hmm. girl with and they're talking about how you always throw the first pancake away because you know it's just it's like a test pancake and wait my first pancake's always perfect <laughs> it's the ones after where it gets too hot always her favorite i never need to throw pancakes away because i'm an amazing cook but true it's still not my best pancake because it's like i'm still calibrating yeah. so your first version of yourself is almost a throwaway. Like, I don't think it is a throwaway, but it's, it's an important part of learning how you're going to interact with the world. But at mm-hmm. some point, once you get past that, you have to start looking at how you're affecting the people you're dealing with. And uh, Evelyn, who was on the show last week, was talking about what her mom told her. She's like, it's great to be honest and truthful, but you need to ask yourself, is it timely? Is it helpful? Is it pertinent? And there was one other thing, but and that's something that I'd heard before and I tried to kind of like vaguely start implementing it. But it's something I've like really doubled down on again is that I want to be honest with people, but sometimes it's not time. Sometimes they need to later, sometimes they need to hear it in a different way than you just mm-hmm. coming up and just saying, wow, that sucked. Like that can really, you know, that can crush somebody's um, psyche whenever you really or actually wanted to help them. It was like, oh, that wasn't very good. There's a better way to like be constructive and help them. It's like, you have to know what you're, know what you're trying to get in these interactions. Like, why am I being honest? Is it to mm-hmm. just, is it to be mean? At that point, it's like, okay, so you want to be a mean person or is it to actually, if it's to serve a purpose and you have to look at, is this serving that purpose? And if not, how can it? And mm-hmm. uh, you were definitely a nice person in my book. You know, I've, I've talked all about it today, so um, I think you've done a pretty good job of implementing that. I, I can't really picture you as a brazen little tween <laughs> walking around with, with your scepter telling everybody how you know everything, but... Um, no, that's how I was, though. <laughs> that's so funny. Would you say that you are yourself... No, you already said this. You already answered this question. You see, you have a work self and you have a personal self. And then even with your personal self, you have levels of that self that you share. Totally. Mm-hmm. What do you think of people who are 100% themselves all the time? 
I think it's really admirable. Um, I think it, but I think sometimes they maybe don't have an awareness that they are like that because it's just their nature. Everyone I've met who's just 100% themselves all the time, it's not something they can control. It's not something they do consciously. It's just, it is what it is. Um, it's funny that you mentioned like ADHD at the beginning of this podcast, because I always find the people that I instantly click with and make friendships with, they have ADHD. And I think it's, I mean, not to generalize, but I think it's because they're just like wholeheartedly themselves. And that's a a trait that I've noticed. And maybe it's just the overlap between those two. It's like, oh, I like people who are like, (laughs) maybe can't complete a whole sentence and jump around a lot because it keeps the conversation interesting. And then I just attribute that to like, oh, they're totally themselves because they're just doing whatever. Um, But the people that I've met like that, it's not a decision they consciously make. They just are. And I deeply admire that. And I think if I didn't care about the criticism from other people as much, that maybe I could also be like that. But I think it would be dishonest to say I don't care about other people's opinions. And the awareness of that helps me to say, okay, sometimes I don't need to care about what someone thinks or, oh, this particular person, I don't care what they think of me. But there are people who I want to have a positive opinion of me. And sometimes just because of that, I don't know that I can be 100% authentic all the time. Mm -hmm. But I admire people who are, but I think it is also in a way harder for them because maybe they can't do that switching or they can't turn off parts of their personality that people may dislike. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I definitely know what you mean. And for But that takes courage. So maybe I'm just not courageous in that aspect. No, I don't think it's I mean, just well, part not is courage, but <laughs> there's also, you know, being ADHD is kind of like being, I mean, some people have said it's like being on the spectrum. And so maybe it is just a lot of us being, uh, I just totally missed the word, uh, autistic. Like lacking that like social <laughs> convention. Lacking channel that says, this is how you're, how everybody thinks you should act. And it's like, I'm over here. I don't really care about that. Um, I definitely have cared what people thought very deeply, you know, to the point where masking was a very big part of my life where I, you know, I would be in different Mm -hmm. situations and try to act like I thought I was supposed to act. And for me that it didn't pay dividends at all. It just made me feel like I belonged less because I was never able to pull it off whenever I would try to like fit into crowds and be what I thought I was supposed to be. I would just find that those crowds didn't like me very much. I never really, I never really clicked with anyone and I found myself even sadder. So Mm -hmm. the math for me was, it was not useful. I was much better at being myself and saying, Hey, this is who I am. Like, I'm pretty cool. You should get to know me. And some people would take it up and some people wouldn't. And that was okay. Yeah. Versus nobody liking this watered down version of myself because it's like, who, what, what are you? And I was like, I don't really know. I'm trying to be what you are. (laughs) I have no idea who I'm am I. <laughs> like, oh, oh, cringy. Um, yeah, so that's that's something that I definitely appreciate and want lots of people to to lean into is yeah. being yourself because it makes you feel better about being with other people. 
versus mm-hmm. trying into trying to find the space that you think you fit in instead of just mm-hmm. being yourself and just fitting like eventually you'll find your you'll find your fit and you'll you know just snap in like a puzzle piece and you'll be yeah you'll really feel comfortable it's you know it's a good feeling to find people who appreciate you for who you are and i didn't find that till i moved to oklahoma city i didn't have any friends before i turned 22 or 23 that i was ever no maybe 25 that i was ever just myself with and really felt whole i moved down here and i met people who i just was like i'm just gonna be myself and they really enjoyed being around me they wanted to come over to my house for dinner and you know before we knew it we were having people over twice a week and that was too much covid slowed it down for us so uh but yeah do you think that changing location gave you permission to start as someone new, like to reinvent yourself? Because I know I do this quite a lot. I changed schools a lot as a kid. So I'd be like, okay, each new place, this is who I am here. And so for me as well, like, I mean, that was part of why I wanted to move to Puerto Rico was I felt like I knew too many people in Oklahoma City who had a certain opinion about me or had known me since being a child or a teenager. And I just didn't want those um, pre-existing like assumptions or things about me. And so I was like, that was part of my reason I wanted to move. I was like, I just want to start fresh and be my own person and just see where that goes. So do you feel like you, that was part of the reason why the move to OKC or something changed? Well, I can say it was not the move because I too was like started a bunch of new schools and I always was like, this time I'm going to be different. I'm going to be a different <laughs> And then I always cared so much what people thought about me that it would just wear me down and I would go back to being whatever. Whenever mm-hmm. I moved here and I was got on the fire department, I was too exhausted to be anybody else. Like outside yeah. of work, it was you had to fit into this mold and you had to try to get along and all this stuff that whenever we'd go do stuff with the kids on Saturdays and we'd go hang with our homeschool group on Friday, like I was exhausted. I had no You energy. couldn't mask. You had I no more energy. Not mask. And these people yeah. were like, hey, this guy's he's pretty cool. And I was like, really? Me? <laughs> I'm barely staying awake right now. But I, you know, it was like, you're funny and you're interesting to talk to. And I was like, wow. So I just kept doing that there. I still, I was still trying to get along at work. I was, I still had that dual personality and the person at work is not somebody I recognize and it didn't mm-hmm. work. Didn't like me, I didn't get along. They actually hated me and isolated me even further. So it was it was super depressing. But then I had my people yeah. out, and they did, and so it was okay because I it was just yeah. a. And that's you know that's something I dealt with for almost ten years, and I'm glad that I'm not doing it anymore because I realize I didn't realize at the time. I only realized in retrospect that I was living just a portion of my life, and it mm-hmm. was. It Wearing me down. It was such a heavy weight to carry. Getting away from that yeah. now, you know, being a full person for my kids and for my wife, I, I so appreciate the fact that I was able to remove myself from the situation. You know, yeah, I feel much, yeah. much better. <laughs> yeah, for real. I think yeah. that's so interesting too is that when you did, you were too exhausted, like you just couldn't pretend to be anymore, that you did receive that positive reinforcement, right? People like, yeah. oh, we do like you. Because I think that probably also played a big role in it too. It's like, oh, wait, I was pretending to be someone that I thought they liked. And then when I was just too tired to even pretend, 
they actually liked me. Because I wonder if it would go differently had you still received, you know, like negative reinforcement I mean, from that. It probably would have been devastating. Like for mm -hmm. one, I had energy left to protect myself. So I was just vulnerable. Right. And so that would just, I mean, it would have been straight to the heart. And I, I don't know, I would have probably been pretty depressed. But I did, luckily I did get that. And that getting away from the fire department, having those friends, having that support, knowing that we're moving again soon, I'm mm -hmm. definitely going to start in that city being myself all the time. Right. And hopefully it doesn't take too long, but at some point I'll find my people and then I'll be happy having those people. I know that I will be much happier finding those people than trying to find, like make myself fit with other people. Cause like, yeah. I just, and also people in Tulsa suck. So I'm sorry <laughs> out there. I'm, I'm just kidding. Kind of the ones I knew in Tulsa were no fun. The people in Oklahoma city. I'm just kidding. Uh, so really? yeah, it's been crazy. Like I really just, everybody I friended here was so genuine and every friend I had there was not. And maybe I'm it, curious and, to see how I it was, goes. I wasn't. So maybe that's why. Maybe I was just right. getting. Maybe it's your maturity too will mm -hmm. give you a, a different experience. Yeah, but these are going to be Northeasterners. So I don't know. New Englanders. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> but, you know, I work from the South, like, you know, or where you call the South or the Midwest or the uh, whatever you call Oklahoma. But it's, uh -huh. you know, is a pretty real thing. And, you know, you talk to strangers. friendliness. Yeah. At the start to, of a conversation or an interaction. Yeah, I don't know. I'm afraid of that. Like, if I, like, people are going to be like, why are you talking to me? I'm like, oh, God. Like, how do I make friends? Like, how do you speak to people? Like, That's just, funny. Well, I really enjoyed that, like, standoffishness in France. I enjoyed that people didn't want to instantly be best friends with you. Oh, really? But at the same time, it is a little isolating when you're new somewhere and you do want to make friends. Not yeah. having people be like super open at the beginning, but then, you know, it's like the total opposite experience here is like, it's such a warm, welcoming place that sometimes it's like exhausting and you're like, I just need a break. I can't do any more social time. Even Austin gets tired here and he's so outgoing. I'm sorry. What'd you say? Even Austin gets tired here and he's like oh. super outgoing compared to me. And he's fluent, right? Mm -mm, no. We both oh. speak like... Okay. I was going to ask, do you think that it would be so exhausting if you weren't also trying to decode language at the same time? Mm. All of my friends here speak English, so it's not, oh. it's not a language issue <laughs> because okay. it's, it's part of the U S. So a lot of people at least who are on like the younger side speak English mm. and especially in the area we live, we're close to the capital. So, I mean, if we lived in the capital, we could learn Spanish because we wanted to, but we wouldn't have to. Right. But we right. live in a smaller city. And so where we live, I'm sure they may understand some English, but they're not uh, necessarily like jumping to speak it. Yeah. So I would rather, and I like learning languages. So like, I'm happy to learn Spanish, but where we are, it's like people don't speak as English as often, at least that we interact with. Okay. Well, as we, as we get ready to, put a bow on this present. Um, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you think would be pertinent to the conversation that you want to share? No, I can't think of anything. I, I Are you thinking of anything? No, I, I, I asked you a lot of stuff. Um, I'm like, did I pass the test? 
Oh, absolutely. You've been a great guest. If people want to learn more about Regan Shorter, where should they go? Hmm, that would be great. You can find me on Instagram. My name is spelled in a unique way. So it's R-E-G-A-N. And if you're just into like photography stuff, you can find me at by, B-Y dot Regan, R-E-G-A-N. Um, or if you want to see more about my personal life, you can find me on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram at Regan Shorter. <laughs> but yeah. I, I love following you. I think that you're great. I mean, I also have insider privileges, so I, I get to see whenever everything is going to crap and you're yeah, the messy parts that I don't share where I'm like, I'm losing my mind. Your humidity or your humidifier going back on like was a little bit heartbreaking for me because I totally forgotten about how bad the humidity in your house is. And so oh, I was it was like, 90% the next day. It was over oh, 90. So oh. <laughs> It's like, well, you live in a sauna. <laughs> yes, I am always sweaty. <laughs> you, you, you wear it well. I cannot tell right now how humid it is in your room. Well, this is the room with air conditioner, so it, uh, it is dehumidified in this room. Are you full? Are, is everything fully powered now? It is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. we've had full power since... I don't know, maybe like October or November last year. And then we got our kitchen appliances in February. So since then, it's like pretty much smooth sailing. That's good. Um, Obviously, there's always something to fix, but nothing is life threatening. That's just being a homeowner. Like being a homeowner is such a, yes. it's such a bait and switch. You think that you're you know, buying this and you're like, this is so much work. It's, it's like so a hobby. <laughs> That reminds me, before before I let you go, there was a situation in which you guys were going out of town and something was happening at your house. Do you remember what it was? Where? Here or in Oklahoma City? Here in Oklahoma City. We, uh, I was... Was I heard, it the... What? No, I have no idea. I heard a beeping at your house. Well, there, okay, there's, that's that's pretty vague because I also worked on your security alarm for you. This is before the security alarm in which you guys were about to leave to go out of town. And me, the firefighter, said, I've been hearing your smoke alarm go off. What is going on? <laughs> Do you remember that? No. I'm thinking this must have been like 2021 or maybe yeah. late 2020. I would say it's before we got super close. So oh, no, 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 no. It was that home security system that would randomly go off, right? Yeah. It was, because yeah, it would be a super security. loud beeping and it would just randomly happen. And we didn't know how to stop it because it just started one day. And so you went out of town with me as a public safety fire officer, knowing that you had no working alarm system. I, I was losing it. I was like, oh, my God. What am I going to do? I know about this information. And then when you came back, I said, can was I Was it our smoke alarms, though? It was, it was the whole alarm system. So it was like uh, security, smoke. Uh, mm. But there was one well, other part. Well, to be honest, we'd never had a, a home alarm system connected to something. <laughs> so when you came back, I was like, can I please help you take that down so you actually have working smoke alarms? And that was, I, th I feel like that was the turning point for our relationship is you like let me into your house. Yeah, because I was like, please, you want to do free labor? Come on in. <laughs> I don't want to figure out how to do this. <laughs> I mean, that was at a time when people didn't go into other people's houses anymore. 
hadn't been in my own friend's house in like over a year. And so I was like, I would like to help you. Are you okay with that? And you're like, yes, yes, please. (laughs) I I don't know. I feel like that's just how often I approach life. It's like, oh, here's an opportunity. Does it make my life easier? Yeah, let's do it. No cost to me for sure. Well, even when it was costly, whenever I said, hey, I, I cooked some food. Do you guys want to buy a plate? You're like, dinner's already done. Yes, please. And I was like. Because yeah, we hate cooking. So it's like, oh, no sweat off our back. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I was. It was a nice way to like inter- for me to get inter- introduced to somebody because generally I'm cooking for free for all, like all my friends and stuff. And sometimes I get better. I'm like, I made all this food. And nobody's pitching in. And I was like, hey, you know, you guys. Do you want to buy it? And you're like, yes, the next time. That's yeah. like one of those boundary things, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want to resent people because I put myself in this situation. So it's uh, like, yeah, if I want people to pitch in, I have to say that. I can't assume that they'll know. Yeah, I'm definitely a volunteer whenever it comes to food. I'm like, I bon- I'm like, yes, I will do the food. And then I turn myself into a victim whenever. Whenever it's not that. I want so much praise or I want, but I just want people to pitch in something to the event. It's like bring dishes, mm-hmm. bring drinks or bring something. And then I'm cool. Whenever like I cooked everything and then we bought the drinks and then we provide the paperware and then nobody helps clean up. I was, Oh man, I was really mad. I was so mad. That happened a couple of times. I was like, Kate, I don't know if I can cook for anybody anymore because I'm, she's like, really? And I was like, no, <laughs> No, (laughs) that's so funny because I'm like, yeah, if someone doesn't tell me to do something, I'm like, I don't think twice about it. I'm like, oh, if they don't tell me, they must not want me to do it. Yeah. And I think that's so important to understand that everybody really moves through this life so differently. And if you don't say what you need from people, they're Mm -hmm. likely to never get it. And that's, you know, like I said, getting to be a partner with my wife is that I never communicated to her what I expected her to be as a wife. Mm-hmm. I, but if you don't say it, you know, yeah. it's like, how are they supposed to know? They, they, they can guess. And, and sometimes she, they will yeah. into it. Yeah. They'll guess. Yeah. But if they don't, I feel like it's like, Oh, you can't assume it's out of malice. Like I have to work on this all the time. Yes. That's, that's, that's been a big game changer for me is like, just assuming that people are not being malicious until they prove me otherwise. Right. If they, you know, if like, if I ask them and they're like, yeah, I'm trying to ruin your day. I, oh, wow. Okay. You success. You did it. But (laughs) anybody I've considered to be even semi-friendly has never, that's never been their goal. They've just been like, oh, I just didn't realize that's, that's how you saw it. Now Mm -hmm. that I'm going to approach this differently. Or can you see it this way that I see it? And, you know, it's just a meeting of the minds. And I think it's so important to have those conversations with people, especially people you care about, but even people mm-hmm. that you have to work with, I think it's important to have those conversations or else people just hate each other and nobody even knows why. Yeah, exactly. But that's hard. Like, that's not something that I think comes naturally to most people is to like open up and ask or state, you know, like, I don't like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't enjoy confrontation in that way. And so it's hard, but I think that's, you know, no matter if it's your partner or your coworkers or whatever, just open communication solves a lot of like, you know what they say about assumptions and of you and me. (laughs) It's so true though. It really does. I mean, and you know, there's also 
the saying that discomfort is where the growth happens. And so mm-hmm. it's like have those uncomfortable conversations and all of a sudden you, you know, level up that relationship so fast just because you're like, this is so awkward. I don't want to talk about this, but hey, this thing happened and I felt this way about it. And they're like, oh my God, I am terrified. I did not realize that. And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden really good friends because they cared about you and didn't realize that thing and you found out how much they cared because they went back and fixed yeah. it. So yeah, I open communication, major key, major key. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to make my final comments here because it's almost coming up on two hours and I don't want to take up your entire afternoon. <laughs> Did you I realize guess it, it is. You're right. No, <laughs> like I said, I like to just talk. I'm but I like you. So that's why I like to talk. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to say that it's really all about just being me. And if this were anybody else, you would have been like, get me off of this call right now. <laughs> Some people, you'd be shocked. <laughs> well, I'm not shocked that you like talking to me because I like talking to you. And generally that goes both ways. And a good conversation takes two, at least two. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give it a like and share it with someone you think might enjoy it too. Also, check out earlier episodes of Authentic on Air with Bruce Alexander to support the future creation of great content. Subscribing would be a grand idea as well because huge things are coming. I have interviews coming up with Grammy Award winning hip hop art, artist JB and KOKH Fox 23 news anchor Adam King. Both of them should have some pretty unique insights on authenticity. Don't forget to like us on at Authentic Identity Management on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, and LinkedIn. And you can also head over to YouTube at Authentic Bruce for podcast videos with bonus content and impactful clips from my conversations with these great guests. Finally, if you are struggling to show up as yourself in your content, your work, your family, or your life, I would love to help you. Authentic Identity Management does identity coaching to help you align yourself with the identity you share with the world. It's exhausting to live someone else's life. Live authentically and access the potential that belongs only to you. You can contact me on social media or email Bruce at AuthenticIdentityManagement.com for a free 30-minute consultation. That is it for today's episode. Um, I think it was pretty good. I really appreciate Regan for putting two hours in today. I didn't, didn't plan on today going so long, but I really enjoyed the conversation, and I hope that everybody listening did as well. Uh, check out Regan Shorter on all the, all the channels if you want to find out more. Until next time, be yourself and love yourself. Bye, everyone. So I'm going to stop recording now. Boop.